What a great song about Jesus, a friend for sinners. This morning, dear friends, I, uh, I want to invite you to join me in hearing a story of rescue and redemption. Well, in some ways, we've already heard two stories of rescue and redemption. Praise God for that. But we want to hear the story that really started all this rescue and redemption for people like Sammy and people like Mary Catherine and people like many of us here this morning. It's a story that the gospel writer Luke has written both in his gospel and in the book of Acts. It's a great story of salvation. It's a story of of a great salvation. Luke, of all the gospel writers, we have four. Luke, of all the gospel writers, is the one who gives most emphasis to this theme of salvation. For Luke, the theme of salvation is a, is a, is a central concept. Everything he writes about, everything he says in his gospel and the book of Acts, is written to emphasize the story of salvation. Whose salvation? Whose salvation? Well, this morning I encourage you to open the book of Acts. And uh, I encourage you to open to the, to the second chapter. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 37 to 40. Now, I want to remind you as you turn your Bibles there, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you the Bible that's provided in the chair in front of you. Find it. We hope that you open it. In the Pew Bibles, you may find this passage on page number 910. As you turn there, I want to remind you that we've been going through the book of Acts for a year and a half now, and we are at the point of just reviewing this book. We're reviewing the book of Acts thematically, and we're taking one theme at a time. Last week, we looked at the, the greatness of God, and this morning, we're looking at the theme of salvation, because Luke and Acts speak mightily and greatly about this salvation, a great salvation. But the passage I want us to start looking at this morning and read for us is chapter 2. Verse 37. Here's the word of the Lord. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And by the way, Peter, this is their, his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he spoke about Christ. So when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and the rest of the apostles, brothers. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. This is a word of the Lord for us. Pray with me. Father, pray that you would use these words for our hearts this morning. Pray that we would hear of your great salvation in a fresh and new way. Pray that we might be excited and encouraged in this salvation and that we would respond to it in the name of Christ for his glory and honor. Through the power of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Well, I have friends this morning. I want to tell you about this great salvation. Whose salvation is it? The book of Acts ends by describing and giving us a great phrase of describing this salvation. Turn with me to Acts 28, 28. 
One of the last descriptions of this salvation in the book of Acts is this. Acts 28, 28. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Jews in Rome who are just about to reject this salvation. As a matter of fact, they have given signs that they want to reject this salvation. So the Apostle Paul speaks to them, and here's how he describes this salvation that they are about to reject. Whose salvation are they rejecting? Paul, Acts 28, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Whose salvation is it? It's not ours. It's not the church's salvation. It's God's salvation. This morning, I want us to look at four things about this salvation. What makes this salvation such a great salvation? The first point I want to bring to you is, and they're, by the way, they're simple points. They're simple points. And if you want to like, take notes, here's the first one. A great, this great salvation was planned by God. That's why it's his salvation. Because he was planned by God. This rescue operation of the human race was initiated by God himself. It began with God's own heart. He planned it. He planned how it should happen. He planned when it should happen. He planned where it should happen. Because, because God is the one who planned it, it's his salvation. That's why God, at the beginning of the book of the gospel of Luke, God himself, not Jesus, but God, is described as a savior. When the angel comes to Mary and tells her the news that she will be with child, Mary's first description is, and her first reaction is, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. God the Father is described as savior because he planned this salvation. He caused this salvation to happen. That's why it's God's salvation. There's so much to consider in this description, whose salvation it is. Friends, it's not ours. It's not man's salvation. It's not a church's salvation. We're not calling people to us. We're calling people and we're telling people about a salvation that belongs to God. He planned it. He causes it. This salvation was foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament. And we could go through the Gospel of Luke and then through the prophets, uh, prophecies of, of, of Acts and speak greatly about the salvation of God and how many prophecies there have been given. But just one I want to point to you in, Act, in Acts chapter 2. Peter's first sermon, how he begins speaking on this day of Pentecost. Look at Acts 2. He begins speaking about this event of the pouring out of the Spirit. And how does he describe it? He points to a prophecy of the book of Joel. He says that God has foretold a time when he will pour out his Spirit. That God said he would do this before the great day of judgment, the great day of the Lord, God said, before that day comes, I will pour out my Spirit upon my people. But something else God gave along with that promise. And Peter emphasizes that and shows that. Look at Acts 2, 21. Peter quoted this prophecy. What would happen in connection with the Spirit, the Spirit being poured out? Something else. Look at verse 21. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was a prophecy of Joel. And, and Peter emphasizes it that this was God's plan. Along with pouring out His Spirit, along with that, God gave another promise. 
that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's a picture of God's universal offer of his salvation. No one who will call the name of the Lord will be excluded from this salvation. This was God's plan. And throughout the book of Acts, we see the plan of God working out in various ways. One of the ways is that we see both Luke, Jesus, the disciples in the gospel of, of, of Luke, and then the disciples of Jesus preaching in the book of Acts and using one word or a phrase that says must or it is necessary. Whenever we see that this word must or it is necessary in Luke's writings, it's always a divine necessity. It was so. It must happen so because God planned it so. So Jesus will speak about his death and he will say, for the Son of Man must suffer. Why must he suffer? Who said he must suffer? Well, it's God's plan of salvation. So whenever we see the word must in Luke or Acts, it's a divine necessity. Friends, this is important because today there are people who, who might like the idea of God's salvation. To many, this story might sound very noble and very, very cool that God would sort of look out after humanity and sort of come to rescue humanity. I mean, that's a great story. But they want to determine how that salvation is played out in their own lives. And that's not cool. That's not the kind of must that we see in, in the words of Jesus. That's not the kind of must that we see in the, the words of, of Peter himself. When Peter says, how must people respond to this gospel? Friends, if this rescue plan was devised and initiated by God, it's a big story. If it was devised and initiated just by a human hero, by a creative writer who just put this piece into writing and, had, and devised it and, and sort of put it out there, we would not lose much. Perhaps we'd lose being well entertained at this great human story of redemption. But friends, this story is not human-made. It's God's. It's God-made. When the creator of the universe is the one who puts a salvation plan together, you can count. That's a big deal. Friends, this great salvation not only was planned by God, the second point is it was planned for us. Not only planned by God, it was planned for us. One of the amazing things about God's salvation story is this. God didn't leave the salvation on a shelf simply to be available to whomever wants it. If that's how we think of God's salvation, none of us would want it in our sin. In our sin, in the blindness of our sin, nobody would seek after the salvation. So when God planned the salvation, he didn't just write the story and then, then published it and let it be out there. See who's going to grab it. See who's going to pick it up. See who's going to seek it. Because the Bible tells us nobody in our human sinful state would seek that story. That's why the, the, the other way God is described for us in this great salvation story is that actually God is involved in calling people for it, in calling people to it. So how should we think about God's salvation? God is actually calling people to be saved. Look at verse 20, 39. Peter said, This promise 
is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then there's an important phrase. Who are all those who are far off? As many as the Lord our God will call. God has been personally involved in planning the salvation, and now he is personally involved in calling people to the salvation. And friends, to those whom God calls, to them this promise of salvation is given. Oh, friend, if you hear this message this morning, I pray that you hear not simply my human words. I pray that you hear the call of God, that in your heart you would hear that God is actually calling you. It's easy to enjoy a story of rescue and redemption when somebody else is being chased, when somebody else needs the rescue, when somebody else is in trouble, and see how, how someone rescues them. It's, it's fun. It's entertaining. We enjoy good rescue stories. We love that. But it's different when the rescue story actually is targeted towards us. When the ones who need to be rescued are actually ourselves. In this time, at this time, the story becomes scary because our lives are exposed. Our sin is exposed. Our lostness is exposed. And we don't like that part of the story, especially when we think we're fine, especially when we think that we have a good life and we prefer to continue to this live, this, live this life. People often deny their need to be saved. Friends, God's rescue story, this great salvation story that belongs to God, is for us. It's for you. You might wonder, why am I, what am I to be rescued from? Well, the Bible says you're to be rescued from your sin and from the penalty that your sin triggers. The judgment of God, the wrath of God, the eternal wrath of God. That's why people don't like to hear about this story because now all of a sudden this rescue story is targeted at us and, and convicts us. And nobody likes to be lost. Nobody likes to be told that they're lost. We like to believe in our self-will. We like to believe in our own power to accomplish whatever we want with our lives. And coming to that point of hearing that actually you must be rescued is a very humbling experience. But friends, that's what sin does. Sin makes us in bondage, brings us to bondage. That's why people to do, continue to do what is not right. We continue to do not what is not right even when we like to do things right. We don't always do it, not consistently. Even the best of sinners are still sinners, fully sinners. Now, please understand, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Our problem is not just what we do. Our problem is what we are. We are sinners. And because of our sin, we're guilty before a perfect God and are under His condemnation for an eternal wrath unless there's a way of escape. Friends, that's why this salvation story is a big deal because this is a way of escape. God's salvation is His rescue from, our, from sin, from eternal penalty of sin, from His eternal wrath for us. 
Luke emphasized the need for this salvation in, in many ways. Well, one of them is by emphasizing that God, that God made Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead. Just one example. There's many, by the way. But in one example, Acts 10, 42, Peter tells a house of Cornelius of what Jesus commanded the disciples to teach and proclaim. Here's what Jesus told the disciples to preach and proclaim. To preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. In other words, in proclaiming the good news of the gospel, of this salvation, Jesus wants people to hear he's not just a savior. He's going to be judge. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And that's why we need his salvation. Friends, I hope that by now you understand that this salvation of God, God planned for us because we need that salvation to escape from the bondage of sin, to escape from the eternal penalty of sin, and to be able to face that day of accountability, that day of judgment. But friends, there's something else about this great salvation. Not only was it planned by God, not only was it for us, here's the third point. It was God's provision. It was God's provision. This great salvation was God's provision. He didn't just plan it. He didn't just say, here, it's for you. When God created the world, he, could, he, he was able to speak it into creation. He was able to say, let there be, and there was. When it came for God to write the story of salvation, words alone were not enough. God could not simply say, boof, you're saved. Boof, you're rescued. Ooh, I found you. No, that's not the way God is thinking about the story of salvation. In this great story of salvation, God actually had to provide a means of salvation. It's the amazing part of the story. God didn't just write it and put it on the shelf and sell it off to the publishers. God actually had to provide the means for it. And the means for his, this salvation was no other, no one other than his own son, Jesus, born of a virgin. He would be the means of this salvation so that, so that Acts speaks of Jesus as being of David's offspring. God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Acts 5, God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This salvation came at a great cost to God. In Acts 20, when, God, when Paul speaks about the church, Paul describes the church and reminds us that God purchased the church with a price. And the price was the blood of his own, his own son. God purchased the church at the cost of his own son. This was a means of God's salvation. And why did God have to provide a means for salvation. Why couldn't God just save us without this provision? Why couldn't God just speak it and it would happen? Well, several times, several times in the Gospel of Luke and in the, uh, the book of Acts, there's a phrase that, that is describing the death of Jesus. And the phrase is that he died on a tree. Now, when we think about people dying today, none of us think about dying on a tree. You know, that phrase doesn't make sense to us. 
It's not normal for us. Well, it, it wasn't normal in those times either, especially for the Jews. For the Jews to die on a tree, it was a symbol of being cursed by God. And that's the point, that Jesus died as if he was cursed by God. Actually, Jesus died cursed by God because our sins deserve God's curse. You see, friends, if we had to pay for our sin ourselves, we would have to pay for it forever. The payment plan for our guilt would be eternal. But Jesus was sent, so he would pay the curse. And in one death, he would pay for it fully. That's why his death is a big deal. That's why his death is a provision for our salvation. That's why God cannot save us outside of Christ. God cannot just create the salvation and save us outside of Christ. God had to provide a provision. And friends, this provision is Jesus. That's why in the book of Acts chapter 4, Peter says about Jesus, there is no salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. Well, friends, the way of salvation is clear. God planned it. He planned it for us, but he also made the provision for it through Jesus. Jesus is God's salvation for us. And the only way God can save us is through Jesus. That's why, friends, it's foolish to suggest that people can be saved in any other way today except through the provision of Jesus. If God has provided the way, and that only way he could think of, the only way it was possible was Jesus, friends, it would be foolish for us to ignore that salvation, to ignore that provision. It would be foolish for us to think that people can be saved some other way. A fourth thing, a final thing about this great salvation. Not only was it planned by God, not only was it planned for us, not only was it God's provision, but this great salvation calls for our response. This great salvation calls for our response. Friends, throughout the Bible, it's very clear that this salvation of God it calls us to respond to it. Otherwise, we cannot be saved. That's why Joel's prophecy makes it very clear. God made it very clear that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what is involved in calling on the name of the Lord? Call on Him to be saved. Ask Him to save you. It's that simple. But, but what does that mean? What is involved in that calling of the name of the Lord? Well, two things, two key elements. First one is faith. Second one is repentance. Both of these elements are, are together combined, and the book of Acts makes it very clear that both of them are part of, of, of the response needed. When Peter gave his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and when the crowd heard that Jesus, whom they crucified, was actually God's own Son, given by God to save us, the people became convicted. Now I want you to think about what exactly was needed. Why did that conviction come? Because they started believing that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And when that dawned on them, they became convicted that they've actually uh, killed and, and crucified the Son of God. Friends, before even this conviction comes into our hearts, faith must come in. Faith in, in believing what we hear. Friend, without this faith, no one can be saved. Without this faith, no one can feel the conviction of sin. But what about repentance? 
Well, repentance, notice, notice what Peter says in Acts 2. He says to the, to the crowd, when they were convicted of their sin, Peter commanded them in, Acts, in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Their new faith in Christ produced repentance. As a matter of fact, the new faith in Christ calls for repentance. And that's what Peter challenges them and urges them. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is part of faith. Without repentance, our faith is futile. True faith produces true repentance. We can't truly repent unless we believe the Word of God as it is preached in the Gospel. Of all the writers, Luke is the one who speaks about repentance the most. So much that I'll have a separate sermon just on the theme of repentance. Because there's so much to talk about. Well, friends, know, understand this, that what it involved in calling on the name of the Lord is believing His Word, believing His prophecy, believing what He says about Himself, about this great salvation. And then once we believe and become convicted, actually to repent, respond, turn around, turn away from our own sin, and turn to Christ. But you know what's crazy about this response? And this will shock you. The book of Acts speaks about this repentance, that even this response, this repentance that we are supposed to bring to God, even this is the work of God in our hearts. Two verses. Acts 5, 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel. Who gave the repentance? God. Acts 11, 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Friends, this is the amazing part about this great salvation. We're called to respond to it. And unless we respond to it, we will perish. Jesus said very clearly, unless you repent, you perish. But the amazing part is that even this response is actually the work of God in our hearts. God plans it. God provides it. God enables us to respond to Him. This means that if you want to respond to the gospel and feel like you can't, feel like there's a battle inside of you, feel like you would, you would like to, but you can't, oh friend, it's true that you can't unless you ask God to give you the power to do so. And that's what it means to call the name of the Lord. Ask Him to save you. He's not commanding you to save yourself. He's asking you, call on Him. Ask of Him. He will enable you to be saved. He will save you. Oh, friend, if you've never called on the name of the Lord, just like Sammy did, just like Mary Catherine did, in the middle of that battle inside your heart, when you don't know, you don't want to respond, you don't really want to, but yet you can't help it. And there's a battle inside of you. Friend, if you've never acted upon that call of the Lord, I pray that you would call the name of the Lord right now. I pray that God would give you, enable you to respond to Him. And if you'd like to know more about what that means, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. Or feel free to talk to anybody at the end of the service here in the church. They would love to talk to you about it. Friends, this morning, I want to remind you of this great salvation. 
the author of Hebrews said, therefore we must pay attention. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be a reliable and reliable and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Friend, I hope and pray that you would not neglect the salvation. If this was just a human salvation, you would not lose much if you neglect it. But if this is God's salvation for the human race, for you and me, and you neglect it, there's lots and lots and lots to lose. An entire eternity. I pray that God would speak to our hearts. If, if for those of us who are Christians, I pray that the salvation of God will rekindle our hearts and we would have the joy of the salvation in us as we continue to watch a symbol of that salvation in the act of baptism. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name that you indeed have saved us, that you indeed have planned for the salvation. You have it for us and you provided for it. And now you're calling us to respond to it. And you're the God who enables us to respond to it. Most gracious Father, as we see people respond to the salvation in the act of baptism, we pray that you would be glorified. We glorify you for your grace to save Sammy Seaman and Mary Catherine and many others among us. Father, we desire that you and your salvation would be exalted this moment. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So uh, as we begin to prepare our hearts to sing,